Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Koki Chronicles podcast. On today's episode, I was joined by NASCAR expert, Premier League fan, and Cronkite Sports alumnus, Reagan Smith, to talk about the upcoming NASCAR season and to break down what we've both seen in the Premier League up to this point. It was great getting to uh, mix things up a little bit on this episode and get to talk about a pair of subjects that uh, we haven't quite hit yet on this show. So, you know, without further ado, here's my conversation with Reagan. Welcoming now to the show is the one and only Reagan Smith. Uh, talk about some sports that not enough people talk about, <laughs> at least uh, in, in my book, especially in national circles. How's it going, Reagan? It's going well. How about you? I'm, I'm going pretty well myself. <laughs> um, so I asked you to, so we're, so we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about NASCAR first, um, the upcoming season in Daytona. The Daytona 500 is a week ago. Sunday. This yeah, Sunday. This, this coming Sunday. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, all NASCAR fans are looking forward to that. So I just, I decided to ask you to put together a list of five drivers to look out for heading into the season. And then I added on another five more guys. Um, just so we can round out the conversation about NASCAR a little more heading into the season. Um, we'll probably have like final four picks as well at the end of that. And then we're going to move on to the Premier League and uh, get an update on all that good soccer stuff. Uh, I'm really excited for the Premier League uh, part of the pod. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've gone too many episodes into this show without talking about it. So I'm talking. Really looking forward <laughs> about it. Uh, I'm just really excited. So um, since you're the guest, uh, let's start with the five drivers that you picked. Um, it's your choice who you want to talk about first. Cool. Um, I think if anyone who is a fan of NASCAR is listening in, I don't think the top driver here is going to come as a surprise. And it's Kevin Harvick. Again, he had nine wins last season. And just by grace of how the playoff system works, didn't make it into the final four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, called for a lot of people to say, well, that's not fair. This man would have dominated the playoffs and the regular season. So how is it possible he's not in there? But, you know, I can't imagine he just drops off anywhere from where he was last year. I think his biggest caveat may be the road courses, and there's six of them this year, which is an insane amount given NASCAR's (laughs) standards. Um, I'm excited for it, but – Immediately after the Daytona 500s, the Daytona road course where they had the duel tonight and uh, Harvick struggled. So I think when you're on the standard NASCAR oval tracks, I think he's going to be the guy to beat again this year. I just can't see him letting off, letting his foot off the gas, as cliched as that sounds with talking about motorsport. Yeah. Um, my, my second driver here is Christopher Bell. You know, um, he was one that I really wanted to see join the 48 team at Hendrick Motorsports, actually. Um, instead he's getting a chance taking over, uh, or yeah, taking over the number 20 car. And so it's going to be interesting to see. I was, I'm, he, I was really on him last year. I'm like, this is the guy that's going to be really good in the future. He's going to really develop into a great driver. I'm excited to see what he does again. I kind of wish he was on Hedrick Motorsports, but, uh, at the end of the day, he, uh, is going to be the driver. I think it's going to be really, really, uh, a good one to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about these two guys a little bit, uh, with Harvick. It's really interesting, right? Because he's 45. 
And last season was one of the best years of his career. He won nine races, as you said. He had 20 top five finishes, yet he also didn't make the championship four, um, which is just really strange and kind of kind of like uh, shows you how hard it is it is to make that championship four and how tough the playoff system in NASCAR really is. Um, but, and he comes into this season with everything, you know, being the same, he's still, he's on the same team as the same crew chief. He's just a year older now at what, 45, 46 years of age. So it's going to be fascinating to see if he can keep up this level of driving, even though I guess on paper by the numbers, he is probably the best driver in the whole field just given how good he was last season and how it seems like, you know, he, his level of, his level of uh, play, I guess, driving ability hasn't dropped off at all. So if, yeah, if his team and his car anywhere, even near where he was last year, he will have no issues winning at least five or six races. No doubt in my mind. I think Mm. last year was a year to remember for him. But at the same point, when you're not even in the championship four, you almost want to scrub that entire year out of memory and say, I, we were good. We were arguably the best. Let's move on to this year. Let's continue that. And uh, let's win a championship this time around. Remember when he poo-pooed the whole, oh, I didn't make the championship fourth. He didn't make championship four. So he kind of poo-pooed the fact that he didn't make it. And he was like, well, I had this great season, won nine races. Does it really matter anyway? And that just kind of brings up an interesting debate. I don't know how much you want to get into this right now. The interesting debate of like, how much does the cup series championship actually matter um, in NASCAR? Because it seems like some drivers have different opinions on just the weight of winning that championship. Right. right? It seems like, it seems like a guy like Chase Elliott is going to care about it more than even a guy like, than a guy like Harvick, even though Harvick's already won it before. And maybe he's just saying it because he's just being, um <laughs> I'd, like, be, I'd be hurt. i'd be mad yeah I was, i'd be mad if that <laughs> happened i get it i get it yeah like what if he's just it's, butt hurt but i mean it's interesting though it's interesting yeah it's i think the argument really comes that if it's just one a full season long race you're gonna have kind of like how soccer is where you can have one driver or one team just pull away from the rest and you may know formula one's a perfect example of that yeah um where it's just <laughs> like well it's in the bag five races before the end of the season. Everything else is just kind of pomp and circumstance at that point, mm-hmm. right? And then the old chase system, which was essentially the same thing as the regular season, but you'd earn points, and it was just a standardized thing. Kind of the same idea. I think with how established the playoff system is now, I think drivers know what they're getting into, and it's definitely for the fans much more than the driver's sake. I mean, look at Chase, look at Chase Elliott. He had to win to get into the final four. You know, he won that final yeah. race in the last eight, and then he won the race or won the race at Phoenix to win it all. So, yeah, I think from a fan perspective, I like it a little bit more. But I, I get the argument. It's just. I don't know if there's that happy medium between driver and fan engagement, especially in COVID year when so many people tuned in to NASCAR for the very first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, I did. Are you an F1 guy? I, we haven't talked about this at all. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Red Bull fan. Um, oh, wow. You know, I, even I know before, started watching when Max Verstappen or Verstappen was at Toro Rosso, um, which is now AlphaTauri. Oh. Um, and so I think I really started watching the first year Seb went to Ferrari. So um, since then, we just kind of watched it, had the same sentiment of, man, the right season's over halfway through. You know, it's going to be a Mercedes, and you know, it's probably going to be Lewis Hamilton. But uh, yeah. again, 
Huh. Say what you want about the NASCAR playoffs, but. Yeah, I, I got into F1 a little bit pretty, like, very recently. Um, the Netflix show is, I highly recommend that to Drive anyone. Drive to Survive, yes. Yeah, who likes or doesn't like racing in any way, shape, or form. I think I think they got a lot of fans in the U.S. because of that show, because I know a bunch of people were like, I got into F1 because I clicked onto this random Netflix show that ended up being amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, We'll definitely have an F1 preview for the podcast too, just for the listeners. Awesome. Um, just for the listeners to know. Um, the, the logistics of F1 are just crazy. And I think that's such a big get, you know, yeah. 21, 20, whatever, how many it is this year, six different continents. It's, it's insane. Yeah, of course. Um, so, and then you mentioned Christopher Bell as well. Uh, big expectations for him this season, right? Uh, new team, new crew chief, Adam Stevens will be his crew chief for this season. Uh, he was, formerly Kyle Busch's crew chief, even though it didn't really work out for Kyle Busch last season. But at the same time, Toyota seems like they're putting a lot of chips into him um, performing this season with a new team and with a new crew chief. Well, that's a lot to ask for a guy right away. But yeah, when you have all the pieces for like that you need, that you possibly need in front of you, right, then it's it's really important for him to take advantage of that even in year one. So. And it's a, yeah, and it's a huge step because his Cup Series debut was last season, right? You know, mm. um, with Levine Family Racing back in the 95 Toyota. And, I mean, he had an up-and-down season, to say the least. He finished, I think, 20th in the Cup Series standings, which I know if you're like, why would Joe Gibbs, one of the top racing teams, kind of invest in somebody who's in that middle tier? I there, there was something about his racing that just kind of sparked, that had a spark that you're like, this kid can really, really develop into something. So I think Joe Gibbs may be taking a bit of a risk, but I think if it pays off, I mean, it's, it's going to be insane because when he was on, he was on. I mean, he finished third at Texas, fourth at Pocono. And so you know that you're getting a kid that knows how to finish that top five and with mm. a good team behind him like Joe Gibbs racing is. I think, I think he'll win a race or two this season. Well, I mean – in the lower level circuits, he was excellent as well. I mean, he won yeah. the truck series championship. He won 16 Xfinity races. Like there's certainly stuff on paper that suggests that he certainly has the talent. And as, and I mean, as you said, he's shown like little bits and flat bits and pieces of that in right. terms of just like little flashes and races here and races there. So it'll be interesting to see like how he progresses um, with a new team and new crew chief and all that this season. Um, so we yeah. got three more guys. Uh, you're up in terms of trying to, <laughs> I guess, present them to us. <laughs> Kyle Larson's going to be the next guy I want to focus on. He's uh, as Hendrick Motorsports and seven time go Jimmy Johnson retired from his 48 car in the sport last season. It kind of made some line shifts. And so it opened a spot up at, Hendrick Motorsports and Kyle Larson was the one to fill it up. Obviously, he's had a pretty, pretty rocky road the past year getting suspended for yeah. his comments on a stream. But when you look at Larson as a driver and purely as a driver, the, the, the dude is a fantastic overall racer. I mean, it's not I wouldn't even say it's a risk to bring on Kyle uh, to bring on Larson at all. He is a solid performer night in and night out. And maybe set call it his redemption arc so to speak but i think his skill wise he deserves a spot in that cup series and 
really, I don't know if there's a much better team to go to than Hendrick Motorsports. They're going to give him a car that can win right off the bat. So I'm excited to see what he does when he was during his suspension and hit the lower leagues, lower racing leagues, he was dominant. He won many, many races. So mm. I think he's ready to get back into it. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some form of learning curve after a year off from the cup, but um, I think he's ready to take on that challenge head on. Yeah. I mean, he already has six cup series victories, right? Um, and what he was suspended for was saying a racial slur on a stream, I believe, uh, like it was during, uh, the pandemic, right. It was like, yeah, it was like right the at the beginning event. of, it was, yeah. Right at the beginning of the iRacing events, NASCAR had started putting together. Yeah. So they suspended six months for it. Apparently went through a whole bunch of rehab and whatnot. Um, it's really risky to bring him on from just a PR standpoint, not really a racing Absolutely. standpoint. Um, I guess the, I don't know, really know what like another sports equivalent is this because like you don't hear a lot of people say something and then like lose their job over it. You know, you, you in terms of like an athlete, it's usually right. they do something, you know, it's like some sort of assault case. Um, and that's obviously horrible, if not worse. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, they, I don't have much to add to, about, add to, to when it comes to Larson because. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a storyline you have to tiptoe around for sure, because exactly. there's absolutely, I can't say fair arguments on either side, but like people have a right to be angry about him returning. And at the same point, I can see why teams would be like, yeah, but his racing skills are so good. It's just we also like, I guess we also don't really know like the actual makeup of him. You know what I mean? Since it was just one thing you say is it's tough to like, it's tough to like really judge a person on one thing they say one thing, some, if you do something like in, like an assault case, for example, that's a lot easier to sort of parse like, Oh, the amount of decisions he had to make as a person and his, and it kind of reflects more to his personality and who he is than other than one thing came out the wrong way. Right. When you said, but so I'm basically, this will basically list the long way of saying like, what is, um, like how, like who is he as a person is, is tougher to judge based on the one thing you said on a stream, even though mm-hmm. I will say it's really risky and a little, and I can see, I can, I definitely understand. And even I am a little uncomfortable with the fact that he got a Absolutely. second. Absolutely. And it's a, it's, you're exactly right. It's an incredible risk by Hendrick Motorsports to do it. And I'm sure they potentially lost sponsors behind the scenes for making the decision they did. You know, and that's me speculating. That's a potential possibility. But yeah, it's ultimately it's the flip side of that coin, right? Like you under you don't know who he is, but also they're an athlete, they're a celebrity, they're put under that microscope, and they should have that know how that they're always going to be under that intense Mm. scrutiny. So it's a rough situation all around. Um, But from a purely racing uh, standpoint. I, I think he will do a lot for Hendrick Motorsports. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, Hendrick Motorsports isn't, I wouldn't say it's that's the, been the deepest team of the last couple seasons. No, absolutely I, not. I will say Chase Elliott has helped them a ton. Uh, what his performance last year kind of put them right back on the map, but um, they, they need kind of that second, third, fourth guy to, 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 you know, bump up that team success. So right. and it wasn't totally there last year. It's been, and it's been years since Hendrick Motorsports has been that quote unquote 
dominant, dominant racing yeah. team that everyone knows and loves. You know, last time was when Jimmy Johnson was winning championships and Jeff Gordon was right behind him competing for championships as well. So it's, I think Hendrick Motorsports, I think last year, I think they cro- they crest that hill of not mediocrity. Obviously, Chase Elliott won the freaking championships. So they're doing yeah. something right. But I think this will be the year that I think you will have at least two drivers, but I think even uh, even a third, whether that be Bowen or uh, Bowman or Byron, 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 Goosh, uh, Bowman or Byron um, <laughs> making that third push. I think I think Hendrick Motorsports is about to be close to the top again. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah. So who you got up next? Martin Truex Jr. is my next guy, and that is because of the addition of the fact that there are six freaking road courses into this NASCAR calendar. (laughs) Um, I think the easy choice would have been to say Chase Elliott, because Chase Elliott is the master of road courses, and he almost proved it tonight, started very last and finished second in the the Bush duel. Um, But Truex Jr.'s every single road course, I think, for the last two years, he's finished top 10. Um, and considering how volatile road courses are on stock cars that really aren't really designed to do the road courses, that's a really impressive feat in my mind. And he's a champion. He knows what it takes to win. And I think whoever can jump on the road courses and really start to understand them like Chase Elliott has, I think they're put at a huge advantage to go really far into the season. And Truex Jr. is kind of my dark horse to where you know he's solid on oval tracks but if he can really get honing in his uh road road course racing i think he has a real shot again for a championship well um if you want to play the probability game and you want to look over the last like four or five seasons of Turex's career you're gonna bet that he bounces back this year because i mean last year was the first year since 2016 he'd missed the final four um and Finishing seventh in the standings last year and only having one win shows that oh, it, it is a little worrying, right? But at the same time, history says that he'll bounce back. He's an excellent driver, as you said. There's more right. road courses, as you said. And I mean, the last year, he didn't make the final four. He won the whole thing in 2017. So yeah. it, it shows his consistency, too, because the fact that, realistically speaking, you should not be in the semifinal round with only one win throughout the entire season. But yet that shows just how consistent uh, he was as a racer finishing in the top 10, top fives. You know, obviously I think it may, as a racer, it probably gets on your nerves a little bit. Man, I'm so close. I'm so close. Why can't I trust this hill? But at the same point, like you said, 2017 champion, first time in what you said, four years that he hasn't made the final four. So obviously he's doing something really, really, really right. Um, and I, I think this season bodes well for him. Mm. and your fifth and final guy the rookie mr chase briscoe he was someone i was really following in the xfinity series last year finished fourth last year and then fifth the year prior but the man just won and won and won he had a let me count them right now one two three four five six seven eight nine wins in the xfinity series last year still finished fourth in the final race of the season as the championship race is obviously a one race shootout. So, um, but the dude just looked primed and ready to take on the cup series, just with how dominant he was race after race after race. And I think total he had 14, 13, 14 top 10 finishes. So, or top five finishes. 
Um, and so he, he was at the front every single race, more or less. And so you just knew that he was looking ready to take over something. And I'm extraordinarily excited to see what he does. And he's taken over the number 14 car this season, um, which I think is a good Stuart Haas racing 14 car. I think that's an awesome car to take over. Obviously, you're kind of filling in who raced in it the longest of Tony Stewart himself, you know, when he retired years and years ago. So it's an iconic car. And I think he's ready to take on that uh, task. Yeah. I don't have too, too much to add um, him and Cindric coming in next year. Um, I mean, two exciting, two exciting guys in the Xfinity series looking to take over uh, in the cup series. So yeah, I don't have a, again, I don't have too, too much else to add. Um, here's I, I added five more drivers that I think we should at least talk about. Um, the first guy I had was Matt D Matt uh, D Benedetto. Yeah. Um, Last season was a little disappointing for him. No wins in 2020, only three top five finishes. But, and, and a lot of people thought he would be excellent last season. Um, but he re-signed with Wood, Wood Brothers Racing on a one-year deal. So he knows he's not going to be with that with that team heading into next season. Yep. He's, just, he's just in a really awkward and interesting spot. And, and I feel like he should he should definitely be mentioned on uh, the on the show today. So I, I felt like, you know, he's not going to win the whole thing, but I, I mean, I kind of want to see how we, I don't know about bounces back, but um, responds from what was kind of a disappointing season last year. I, I agree with you. Cause I think a lot of people expected Matt De Benedetto to carry on his success from two years ago and kind of busting into the scene. And then last year was very much a uh, slumpy year i guess so to speak in a lot of ways and obviously the wood brothers car isn't one that's going to turn anybody's heads you know they're going to be competing for top tens generally if they are competing but yeah de benedetto just didn't have the season that you would have liked to have seen but at the same point i don't think anyone turned off the tv and said is this guy driving the number 21 he's a household name and people know that he has that power to do something big and so he and because he is a he's doesn't have a house next year, so to speak, or, you know, he doesn't have a, a, a car next year. The pressure's on him. He, you know, he, odds are he'll find a team no matter what, but the pressure's on him. If he wants to make that jump to get into, whether that be Richard Childress or even Hendricks, whatever may be down the line, it's, he needs to show out this year. And so the pressure's definitely on him. Mm. He raced better at the end of the year. He had three yep. top 10 finishes to finish the season. And, uh, he made the playoffs for Woods the first time since 2017. So it wasn't like a disastrous season. He had a good finish. So I think those are two interesting signs heading into this season when it's make or break for him. Um, he seems like he's had more confidence with his crew now after and that they've finally started meshing toward the end of the season. But um, we'll, we'll see about uh, the Benedetto this uh, year. Um, the next driver I wanted to mention um, this might be brief, but, uh, Bubba Wallace, um, Bubba Wallace had a heck, had a very public year in 2020 for many yeah. obvious reasons, yep. um, dealing with race and now going now joining Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin's new team. I feel like we should definitely, um, address this wild card of a situation. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Bubba Wallace joining 2311 racing. I don't think I've seen a team be so hyped up, you know, preseason like 2311 has. And 
you have Bubba Wallace, who you know is a very, very, very good driver um, taking over. And when you have Denny Hamlin as a partial owner and the Toyota engine backing with Joe Gibbs as well from the side, you know, it's, you know, that you're going to get some fun, fun results with that. And I think it's going to be very much of an experiment because I mean, how often do you see celebrities, let alone freaking Michael Jordan, come into a, a sport that's probably pretty foreign to a lot of people in terms of following and build a repertoire that you have with Bubba Wallace and a Toyota manufacturer with Denny Hamlin helping to steer the ship? I, I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh. I certainly agree with you there. I'm really interested to see what happens there, but I will say we already know what Michael Jordan looks like as an owner, and it hasn't been pretty so far with the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> so yes, that is true. <laughs> I, I just feel like that's notable. Um, uh, and Wallace hasn't won a race yet. So it'll be interesting to see if he can at least get closer to going over the hump. He is only, he had one top five finish last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, We'll see. We'll just see. We really don't know what's going to happen with this team. They haven't had a season yet. Um, So the next driver I got is Kyle Busch. Uh, I I mentioned this very briefly earlier about how Kyle Busch had uh, didn't have the greatest of seasons last year for Joko's racing. Yeah, yeah. he couldn't Um, he couldn't buy a win to save his life last. He got one, but he got one. He he kept the sixteen season streak a lot alive with at least one win. Um, that's nearing Richard Petty's, uh, record of 18 straight seasons. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, can he, will he bounce back? I mean, like, I feel like he's definitely a name that we should be talking about in this conversation. Yeah. And never count out rowdy Kyle Bush is the one thing that any NASCAR fan will learn. He won tonight's Bush clash because, uh, Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney spun each other out on the final chicane. He was opportunistic enough to grab the win. So, you know, Kyle Busch is always someone that's, if you're not seeing him in the top five, at least a good portion of a race, you're probably like, man, something seems off. He had a pretty rough season last year, but finally got that win to kind of get the monkey off his back a little bit. But I, there's no way in my mind that that repeats last season repeats at all. He was so close so many times. And he's just, he's a dominant racer, love him or hate him. He's a dominant racer with a dominant team at his back and a dominant crew chief. So I only has a new crew chief this year, actually, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> his Xfinity crew chief moving up this year, but um, it's just, you want to talk about almost the epitome of fantastic driver, fantastic team around him. I mean, that's Joe Gibbs racing Kyle Busch. I mean, very rarely do you see that type of consistent compete. And I know last year was a huge disappointment for them, but Kyle Busch will always have a chance to win a championship, no matter where he is, I feel like. And this season, I think he has a big chip on his shoulder to uh, prove last year was just a weird fluke. So I think he's going to come out guns a blazing. The interesting thing about um, Bush is that he's now the only actor driver with multiple cup series titles because Jimmy Johnson's gone now. So Running just, of the tides. I know. It's really weird, isn't it? Um, I So next driver I got was Chase Elliott. Um, this might be quick, though, because, I mean, what else is there really to say? He's the <laughs> darling of NASCAR. He won the Cup Series title after winning the last two races and, and blitzing his way into the top four. Um, there's more road courses this year. 
So that means, I mean, he won four, uh, he won the last four races of road courses last season. That if that yeah. tells you anything about his ability on those courses, then that should, um, I mean, last year was a career high in him, not just winning the cup series, but he ha- had career highs and wins top five finishes, top 10 finishes, laps led and average finish. So, I mean, the future's bright for him is, can he repeat? <laughs> I guess that's the question, right? Right. I love that. The future's bright for him already has a championship under his belt. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, he's going to be the darling for NASCAR for the next 10, 15 years. No question in my mind. He's the next Dale Jr. I remember I, I was a Jeff Gordon fan, so he took over the 24 for that one year. And I was I think freshman year, actually um, went to that uh, semifinal race. It was the coolest thing ever. Um and that kind of got me hooked on him, not because of who he was, but the fact that he inherited the 24 car more so than anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, how many people, what is he, 23 years old, get to say that they're a champion, not only in any sport, but a sport that is specifically driven where you are the one guy on the track doing everything. And yeah, you have a team beside you that's spotting and pit stalls but you're the one controlling that car and driving it across the start finish so can he do it again i absolutely think he can kind of like the idea of truex and even chase briscoe he won the indy indy road course in the xfinity series which is coming to the cup series this season the more road courses there are the scarier it is i think for everyone competing against chase elliott because the man just knows how to race and race everywhere Mm. yeah i don't have too too much to add um and the last name I got is uh, Denny Hamlin talking about uh, champion. If we're talking about championships and in this case, not winning them. Uh, the 40 year old Denny Hamlin has not won uh, the NASCAR cup series championship. Uh, um, I don't have too, too much more to add to that. I mean, I had an excellent season last year, won seven races at 18 top five finishes. Um, he now co-owns a team. Seems like he's loving life, but he's still missing that, that, that championship. So. Yeah, he's a he's another one part of that Joe Gibbs racing team of Kyle Busch that seems like he's always been so close and just can't get into it. Finished what fourth this last season. So, Denny Hamlin, I think, is due for one. The thing is, though, there's so much good competition right around him. It's can it be this season? Absolutely, will it be this season. I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that have the chips on their shoulders where even Chase Elliott, where the season kind of favors him a little bit more. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle for him, but the one thing, you know, he's consistent. So. Well, he's the favorite um, this weekend for the Daytona 500. He's won the opening Daytona 500 the last two seasons. So yeah, going for the three Pete and he's going for that three Pete. It's, it's really, um, it's really something. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we got. We've broke, we've, uh, given everyone 10 drivers to look out for, for this upcoming NASCAR season. Um, I guess before we move on, uh, what's your championship for, for this upcoming year? I haven't even thought of this. So I, I have to yeah. give it a second too. I think, I think Chase Elliott just finds a way to get stuff done. Like he has the last few seasons. I I'd be surprised if he wasn't at least in this. Well, I guarantee he'll be in the semifinals, write that one down. Um, yeah. But, I think Chase Elliott's a pretty good choice for the final four. Kevin Harvick has to be there like for his sake 
and everyone's sake he has to be there in my mind. And it wouldn't surprise me to see someone like Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch in there as well. I think Joey Logano could easily be there as well. So I think Kyle Busch would be my third. And then I think my toss up again would be a talk between Denny Hamlin and uh, Joey Logano on the outside. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I got to go with Elliot too. I think he'll definitely get in. Um, Harvick, I have trouble believing that he won't get in because I think like, I, I just think on its face, it's just, he's too successful and has had, and, and his races have been too strong up for the last couple of seasons, especially last year to, to suggest that he won't make it in this season. So um, just giving with the, getting going with the logic of those two, probably being the best drivers in the whole field at the moment, um, I would have those two in and then I'd probably go, I'd probably switched up a little bit. I think I would have Logano in. Um, okay. I mean, he just doesn't go away, man. No, he, <laughs> he's always fighting. And we haven't really not talked afraid about to, him much, but no, and he's not afraid to get a little bit dirtier when other drivers may not want to engage exactly. in a more hard fought battle. He's not afraid to shove his nose into places that maybe he shouldn't have put it there, but. I mean, that just says what type of racer he is. Like mm -hmm. it or not, he's a hard-nosed racer. And there's a reason why he's been so successful. And it works for him. So I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him in there. Um, humble flex, but I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Mr. Logano one-on-one. -on -one. One, one of the most pleasant <laughs> interviewees I've ever interviews I've ever had. Very, very, uh, very nice guy. Um, <laughs> and then for that fourth spot... Uh, yeah, it, the fourth spot's tough, but I lean Kyle right. Busch. I think he's going to bounce back. Yeah, um, I, it's, it's one of those where it's like you have to have a Joe Gibbs racing car in that final four somewhere, I feel yeah, like. so. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much our NASCAR preview heading into um, the, the upcoming NASCAR season. We're not going to really pick a champion because it all comes down to one race, and who the heck knows at that point? <laughs> you're basically shooting the dark, yep, shooting in the dark. Um, so well, we'll see what happens in Phoenix, um, all the way this upcoming November, which feels so uh, far away, so far away. <laughs> so now let's move on to some soccer talk, the Premier league. Um, I know this is a very like strange transition to a sport that is just incredibly different than NASCAR in so many different ways, especially <laughs> demographically, my goodness. Um, so I kind of wanted to start off this conversation with Manchester City, Manchester United. The reason why is not just because they are the top two teams in the Premier League at the moment. Um, also, because I just think they're two very interesting teams to talk about right now in terms of uh, where they're at in general. So right. um, let's start with City. Um, not just because they're top of the league. It's because they just had a really dominant outing against uh, Liverpool. I don't know if you uh, caught that game at all. Um, it was what was it three one or four one victory four one four, four one. one and they piled on the goals in this no oh, yeah they like did a span of what 13 minutes something like yeah, that yeah um and it wasn't as lopsided as the as the uh as the final score may indicate because um allison kept on giving the ball to manchester city and and yeah. city just kept on scoring it and um, but they were certainly the better team. Phil Foden was driving the play. And, I mean, it look, and it looks like now that City's offense is finally clicking back to City-esque levels, 
that with an improved defense, they seem like the team to beat in the Premier League right now. And I know things have fluctuated very fast this season, but I mean, when a pep team gets rolling, a pep team gets rolling. And yeah, when I mean, it's a team with freaking two losses over halfway through the season, right? So yeah, I mean, and it's insane. And it seems like they never had hit their stride until now, which sounds stupid to say because they're not only five points to the good over United, they have a full game in hand as well. Yeah. And so it's like, if this team's truly starting to hit its stride now, I mean, the rest of the Premier League might as well grab a bucket of popcorn and just wave to them as they celebrate. That being said, <laughs> it's the freaking Premier League and anything that can happen somehow will happen. But if if the way it's all indicating now, I think Man City is on the cusp of starting to run away within the second half. And, yeah, you know, Man, Man U and Leicester are really – really going to have to step it up and who knows how Liverpool is going to handle it because yeah I think if Liverpool had a chance to catch them this game would have been it right that's like yeah I mean win at home against Man City would have um it would have closed the gap significantly might have given them some kind of a chance right but yeah I mean realistically I think I I think it's only I think Leicester and Man Man U are the only two that can really even tried to compete at this point liverpool's what lost five straight home games or haven't won in five straight home games and so yeah that was the game and i think they had to win and it was looking okay with that draw going forward obviously they would have liked to have won but that that loss i think has nearly taken them out of premier league contention for sure yeah and now they're worried looking behind them because i mean villa has games in hand um uh, I mean, Everton is games in hand. Chelsea's playing better. Like there's a lot of team, there are teams behind yes. them that can steal that fourth spot if they're not careful. Um, I don't want to go into like a full Liverpool thing right now, because we're definitely going to talk about them a little later, but uh, I, I do want to talk about City in terms of just how well, how well Ilkay Gundogan's playing, how well Phil Foden's playing, how well they're playing in general without Kevin De Bruyne in the lineup. I mean, how good Ruben Diaz has been in defense. Like, I guess when you watch this team, like what kind of jumps out at you? Um, I think it's just how complete they are defensively, you know, they've, they've bolstered themselves up. And, you know, when you're looking at a team that consistently puts two, three goals up a game, you probably want to immediately think of how are their, uh, their backs doing. And yet they just, they're not, they're not, they're holding teams to either nil or one goals every freaking time. And they have the firepower to say, all right, whatever and then just blow them out of the water. And so that's probably been one of the most impressive things to me. I think a lot of people would like to focus on the offense, but the backs have been absolutely fantastic this season. Yeah. Um, Their back has been so fantastic this year that they've allowed only 14 goals all all (laughs) Premier League season in 22 games, which is unbelievable. Right. Um, And their expected goals against their XG stats – uh, suggest that that's about right their their xg right now is at 15.6 instead of you know the 14 they've actually allowed so their defense has been really yeah. utterly incredible i yeah. mean i almost to tell you they, they've been unbelievable defensively um let's talk about man U a little bit then uh right now they're sitting in second place um with an extra game played over man city despite being also being five points back well, 
they may be in second, but I don't think this team's a real title contender. And it's not because they're unlucky. It's not even because Man City's that good. I think this team is very good, a top four team, but I I, I don't want to fully blame it on Solskjaer, but I kind of want to do in terms of him sort of capping the, the, the ceiling on this team because he's not a tactician. He's a He's more of a players manager and more of a, um, a right the ship kind of guy, you know, he's, he, he's no pep, he's no clop. Um, he's no Tuchel really either. Right. So I don't know. I, I, I just look at this man, U team and they have some holes on the roster, not a ton. They still have a ton of talent. Um, I mean, Bruno Fernandez is arguably the best player in the league, but I feel like this team has another level to go to, you know, to be that real title contender, that real, um, assertive force at the top of the league yeah and i think a lot of that you know i we we pr- i praise man city's defense and you look at man you and you're like and hey, they're a great team they're second you think they'd have a pretty well-founded base and it's like well they've still allowed 30 goals you know and yeah they score a lot too and that's not overly high in terms of the premier league at all in the top in the top 10 but at the same point, if you're wanting to compete, especially against a team like Man City, I mean, you have to shut down defensively. And, yeah, they're winning their games, but I don't know. You know, they they haven't had the best of stretches lately either, and this is really the time that they need to be having that good stretch. Mm-hmm. And they've had trouble um, closing out against these weaker sides. Um, yeah. I think the, I think that we'll talk about this a little later, but I think the depth of the Premier League this year, like the middle clubs, especially have been a lot better than usual. Yeah. Like the crystal palaces of the world have been excellent. The Brighton has been really frisky this season. So there's really no game. There's very few games this year where you can just, you know, kind of have a day off and um, kind of will yourself to victory. Wolverhampton's another one, even though they're not as high in, in the league table as they have been, as they were last season, but they're still a team that you have to try, try and play pretty well, try and play pretty well to beat. Um, so it, the Premier League's been very fascinating this season. You mentioned their defense. Their defense has been mediocre. Yeah. They're sixth right now in expected goals allowed in the league for, but for a team of that talent, that's okay. Um, I think the Tellas edition in Juan Basaka, like they're strong at the wing at wing back, but they're still trying to figure out their center back situation. Harry Maguire just hasn't been the force that they wanted him to be. Right. So. And it doesn't help when you're consistently changing who's playing on your back line the whole season either. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that their manager has spoken about how he'd like to find consistency and, and yeah, we're still not seeing it. Yeah. And De Gea is not the same guy. He's just not, no. <laughs> he's I one mean, of the what? best at years and not years and years ago, but four, yeah, like he's... four or five years ago, he was the best goalkeeper in the world by yeah. the best player by far. Um, and now he's nowhere near that. And it's, I mean, it's a problem in terms of the event. If you want to talk about like some of like the problems in the roster, like goalie goalie has like slowly become a, problem for them and it's been a problem like we've been waiting for him to bounce back for a few years now and it just simply hasn't happened um do you want to host second right now and expected goals allowed in the Premier league oh hold on oh make a guess is it lester no you wouldn't expect it- this lester's fifth uh the only other team i could think of is tottenham but 
No, they're they're actually well below. Um, really? Yeah, they're they're like well, they're like way down there. Um, not by a ton. They, so they're basically saying they're getting really lucky right now. Their okay. expected goals yeah. average is like is currently six goals uh, better. Their goals allowed is six goals goals better than their expected goals allowed. Wow. Okay. So okay. they're saying they're the, the analytics don't really. The defense love is them. way overperforming. Is what basically, that's what they're saying. What you're saying. Um, and second place actually is Chelsea Football Club. Really? Yes. That's, that is interesting. That is real. It is really interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and that's the team that I want to talk about next. Um, we we both watch most, if not all, Chelsea games uh, since we are Chelsea fans. Um, full disclosure. <laughs> uh, I guess now with the Tuchel hiring, I, I do want to ask you what has been the biggest difference between watching Chelsea now and, and Chelsea under Lampard? I, to me, Chelsea just felt almost lifeless in a lot of ways. Like the team just wasn't fun to watch. And that was the first, this season really is the first season I've been like, I don't know how I feel watching this team. Something just doesn't feel right. And I think Werner has kind of stepped up and especially Mason Mount this last game. I mean, Mason Mount's, I think, been a player that's faced a lot of scrutiny. Um, and I overall, though, I thought he's been pretty good in his response to it. You know, he's the, definitely the man of the match last game. So I don't know. I, I just, this team feels like it has a little bit more life and it's almost settled down a bit. They're not as squirrely, it feels like. Hmm. I don't know. It's just, I, they're a lot more direct now. They're a lot more assertive. Um, they're a lot more tactically sound and yes. it's really strange and kind of telling how bad it got at the end with the Lampard era that Tuchel was able to put in his system and they were able to look that more direct and that more tactically sound and better coached when he had coached them for one practice before their, before the first game that he was the manager of. Right. And Surprise. it was like, Oh, okay. Right. Um, I believe it was the Wolverhampton game was the first game that he was in charge of. Um, and they drew that game, but they looked a lot better. You could tell yeah. something had changed. Um, and it, it seems like what Chelsea kind of needed help with was in that midfield area absolutely. as well. And I mean, he changed the formation. I mean, you'd usually see Chelsea running a four, three, three, under Lampard and it, it changed around to where the midfield was stacked instead. And it seems to have calmed Chelsea down because what Chelsea hasn't lost since they, they sacked Lampard. Right. No. I mean, not saying that's like this, Holy moly, we found him form a thing because I feel like that's how people felt with Lampard when he came to Chelsea. But I mean, it's not like Chelsea has been playing little ho-dunk teams in the premier league either. You know, they drew against Arsenal. They beat Tottenham. And Tottenham's been on the downward slope for a bit now, but still yeah. Tottenham is a good team nonetheless. Um, and, you know, I know Wolves has slid too, but Wolves is always a team I love to watch. Um, they're always fun to watch. And so I'll coach. They're always well yeah, coached. Exactly. And you know what? It's, I'm happy to see what Chelsea's done because it seems like they were searching for an identity. And I'm not going to say they found their identity as a club just yet, but it seems like they're realizing, you know, they're, they're wearing, they're wearing that lion on, on their chest that this is, 
well, I guess the quote themselves, right? The pride of London. And it seems like they're finally starting to play with the power of uh, the pride that the team has always shown. Mm. And I love some of the innovations Tuchel's already put into the squad. Like the first game they had, they had Callum Hudson-Odoi as the right wing back. Yeah. And I just loved it. And it, it was just a really interesting and innovative way um, to, to get him involved. And he was their best player toward the end of the Lampard era, I think by far, because he was so he, because he was direct and so good with the ball in his feet. And it seemed like he kept, he was consistently played with a sort of energy that they needed. Right. But Lampard wasn't putting him on the field enough. And I think Tuchel recognized that. And Tuchel has put Hudson Odoi, I think in every game and has started him in the majority of games since he's been in charge. So, um, and even, even in, uh, even though Havertz hasn't started the last game or two, when he did start or like in those first couple uh Tuchel games, he looked more energized. He looked like yeah. he, there was sort of a direction to his play. unlike beforehand where it was lost. I mean, the game looked like it was going so fast for him and there was no physicality. He wasn't playing with any sort of physicality when once he got the ball, he'd lose it automatically. His decision-making was really slow. Um, I think Werner's looked a lot better since Tuchel's come in too, because yep. Um, not only does he just have his confidence back, which is just good timing on, which is just like, and ends up being good timing with, yeah, I mean, but like right. he he's playing more direct now. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's a couple guys that I kind of feel bad for in terms of they, it seems like they've kind of lost spots in the squad. Like Ziyech has been nowhere to be seen the last three or four games. Um, it seems like say, um, I'm, 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 who else, who else has had, had trouble getting back into the squads? Pulisic hasn't gotten a start yeah, yet. I said Pulisic, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, new manager, I mean, new manager, obviously that's stuff, stuff like that's going to happen. And I think this also has her been Chilwell quite a bit. They're playing five in the back instead of three. Um, right. but I'm, I'm also glad to see Marcos Alonso in there again, because he's the perfect left wing back. If you're playing five in the back, you can play him. You can't play him when you're playing four in the back, right? No, because right. he's a disaster defensively. So unless you have a guy like um, an Espelqueta sort of backing him up or or backing up a guy like Reese James, even though I even though I do think Reese James actually might be better in a four back system, but we'll see. Yeah, it's in Chelsea's the way he's been designing these uh, the lineup cards where it's you know it's a, a, a three four you know a three four three or a but uh, two, what two, three, four is where he's putting tons of people in mid back, but it allows for like Reese James and Chilwell, they become these wing backs that all of a sudden when Chelsea's pushing, they're right up there in the box, crossing it in. And it's been one of the, I think the most fun things to see is how much the def- in this new formats of how much the defenders have been getting in on the action, especially Chilwell. Chilwell has impressed me as an attacking um, defenseman, I think what the Sheffield United game, they ran a three, four, one, two, something along those lines. And it seems to be working because Chelsea has really been spreading the field. Mm. They're still not clinical enough in the final third and no. they're still not creating enough opportunities in the final third either. Um, they had that, the one goal, the first goal against Sheffield, I thought was excellent um, that they scored. And that was one of the few sequences of play where you finally started seeing guys, uh, connecting and, and making the right passes. And I was wondering your thoughts of like 
why they haven't been as good and as clinical in the final third. Like I have my ideas, but I kind of want to hear what you, what you think. It, so to me, it seems like I, I know that they, it's essentially a one, one man show up front, but it seems like Chelsea doesn't do a good job at uh, condensing the field. You know, they play it wide to get in. And then once they try to move into the box, a lot of times I've especially felt for Werner the last game against Sheffield United, he had so many chances where he would either just get pickpocketed at the end or the gaps there would close down. I think Chelsea needs to work on, I guess, crossing it in and shrinking the field back down after they widen it up, which is it's going to be a passion project with a new manager. But there were those flashes of brilliance. Um, Mount's goal, the first goal, was a fantastic version of that. And I think a lot of people's eyes kind of sparkled a bit when they saw how, hey, just how good that finish was with just that whole play. But um, they like Werner making that run into the box opened up that whole sequence. So we're, yeah. we're talking about that Sheffield goal. Um, and they just haven't been making any of those kind of runs at all, really. They haven't been able to get behind defenses and into the final, into the box. And that's really been a huge issue with their offense because a lot of times they're stuck with the ball out wide. Right. And they, and then they try to bring it back in and they're kind of swallowed up by the defense because no one makes that extra run um, into the box. No one makes that, um, that one, two combination that um, out wide, they're really good with one, two combos, right? right? Whether it's Reese James or Callum Hudson, Odoi or Ben Chilwell and, and Pulisic. Um, and that's why I've been looking, that's why I wanted them to play Hudson Odoi more because he could drive the ball into the box by himself because of how good of a, how good he is with the ball in his feet. And I feel like even when people were criticizing Pulisic, it seemed like he had a directness that their offense needed. Right. And right. same went with Mount, like Mount played hard, even though it looked like the rest of the team wasn't playing hard, um, which is why I don't think that criticism was like fully fair against him because yeah, I would even, take him over Havertz every single day who looked like he had no idea what he was doing, you know? Yeah, Kai Havertz is, has, I feel like so much, but that's how I feel about this entire Chelsea team. So much potential, but yet it's not being realized. And yeah, you can complain about Mount and not being able to either keep possession or not being able to finish but I mean the man especially against Sheffield United I mean so much heart and soul into that game and that opening goal I mean you you can't say it wasn't deserved at all I mean when you've had a team that's just this year's just looked off I think is probably the best word to say off because you yeah. know they're not you know they have the talent to compete for a Premier League title even with this team currently but it, they were off. Like, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Mm. Um, and I, they're not there yet, but it seems like they're finally starting to settle down. It seems like the players are gaining their confidence back. And that's what I respect about Mount is he may not currently be where he could be at in the future, but you know, he's not afraid to go for the net to attack as hard as he can, even if that means he loses the ball or can't finish it off. I'd much rather see that than a team sitting around kind of scared to pass the ball around and try to create, generate chances, you know, possession's great and all, but unless you're going for it, I, you know, it's, that's yeah. why I like Mount so much. Mm. And then I, and you can see that Tuchel's playing Kovacic and Jorginho more as um, like those, de those deep lying midfielders, you can pick out those passes to 
um, all this, all the speed and talent they have toward up, up front. Right. And it hasn't quite worked out yet because I don't think Jorginho is very good at soccer anymore for one. And two, like Kovacic, Kovacic is a kind of do everything guy with the ball on his feet. Right. He can do a little bit of everything well, but I don't think he He's does anything. Jack of all play. trades, master jack of all trades. form of player. Yeah, right? exactly. It's what he seems like. It's what it feels like to me. I feel like it worked. He's- a little better when he had a guy like Conte fully informed next to him. Um, yeah. It hasn't mm-hmm. totally worked out yet. And it really, Jorginho, to me, has been a lost player ever since uh, Sorry has left. It's so sad, too, with Jorginho, because, like, you know how special of a player he is, and it's just not there anymore, it feels like. Um, and he's it's good penalty, penalty kicks, spot. His penalty... <laughs> Even that, I mean, he's missed what three this season. That's true. That's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Kovacic is a player I like just because, like, if you're looking for that solid midfield guy who can move up and attack when he needs to, I mean, that's that's Kovacic for you. Like, perfect midfield guy. I think any team would be lucky to have him. But yeah, he needs he needs some of that extra spark to really show off his skills. Yeah. And if Conte was in as good of a form as he could be. I mean, be such a deadly duo in that mid midfield area, but. Mm. And their defense has been really good. Like I and mentioned has. earlier, um, they're second in the league and uh, expected goals allowed. Uh, they're ba- like XG, XG stats are the analytics are basically saying that they've been, uh, they've given up two goals this season that usually statistics are statistical anomalies. Basically they're two, they're performing, um, under expectations right now, which is a good sign if you're a Chelsea fan. All the XG XG likes Chelsea a lot. Um, even while even when Lampard was in charge, they liked XG a lot. It, but firing Lampard looks like a better decision now because they kind of it felt like they needed that sort of tech, tactical thrust and tactical identity and a little more structure into their system, right? And it seems like they've got that now um, with Thomas Tuchel. But we've talked about Chelsea probably way too much. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Liverpool and Tottenham. Uh, these two teams are struggling right now. Uh, first, I want to talk about Liverpool, though. Um, what's 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 up with Liverpool? Base. That's my question. What's up with them? Yeah, I have no freaking clue why it was like a light switch just flipped off for this team. It's it's really hard to explain if I'm being honest with you. Because I mean, look at the Man City game. You know, they were down and then. They came right right on back, and it looked like, although Man City had control of the game throughout most of it, it looked like the game could easily have ended in a draw and then just giveaway after giveaway, and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, it's 4-1, to one. enjoy your loss, go back home. Like I said, we're home. But it's just one of those things where you're looking at this club, like, you guys are so good. You guys started the season so well. And then it was like the wheels fell off and I have, it's, it's hard to explain. I don't have, there's not a lot of like easy explanations when you watch them play because unlike Chelsea, right? Because Chelsea, you can watch them play and be like, Oh yeah, their midfield stinks. Um, they, they can't score in the final third. Uh, I mean, they look weak, blah, 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 blah. Like, you can find tons of weaknesses in their play, right? Especially during the Lampard era. But like with Liverpool, it's it's hard to find too many, like too many obvious holes in their play. Um, I, I, there's, I think there are some like indicators as to like what could be the problem, right? Uh, the Jota injury was huge. 
He was awesome for them when they were missing a lot of their front, th- their prolific front three due to COVID and injuries and all that mess. They, they've been ravaged by injuries quite a bit this season um, o- overall. I mean, no, I mean, they're missing their top three center backs, Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dyke, uh, Joel Matip, like that's huge. And it, that takes away from their midfield because now they're playing Henderson and Fabinho at center back. And that's, they can do it. Those guys can do it. Right. But that, but that takes away from your midfield because now you're relying on Wijnaldum and Tiago to drive the play up field. And that doesn't, that hasn't seemed to totally work. Tiago is an awesome, is one of the best connect players in the league yeah. in the world um, in terms of he can, he can, his ability to smartly pick out the right pass and to open up the play is what makes him so good. Right. But he's not a sort of, he's not like a number eight type of guy who can drive the play um, into the attacking zone and into the final third himself. Right. And they're kind of missing that guy. Like if you compare them to, to city, right. City has tons of those sort of players like Phil Foden, Bernardo Silva before even he's not on the team anymore, but like David Silva is the perfect example of this. They don't have anyone who can really drive the play offensively and then combine that with just some inconsistent performances, even from like the guys like guys like Andrew Robertson and um, Andy Robertson and, and uh, Trent Alexander Arnold. And you sort of get like what's just been a really awkward and kind of unlucky season for them. So. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. It's like Liverpool's a such a possession heavy team. And yet look at how they're losing, you know, they're not even, I don't care. I mean, shots and soccer, you can give or take or leave that stat, whatever you want to do with it. But it's like Liverpool generally dominates time of possession. And yet, you know, I think of the Brighton and Hove Albion game, right? And they dominated almost 65% of the ball. And yet they got one shot on goal that entire game. And yeah. you're letting a, a team like Brighton and Hove Albion, I mean, not to kind of poop on that team, but like <laughs> – you allow them so 30% possession and yet you allow them to take a decent amount of shots on you and you end up losing because of it. It's, it's not adding up the way Liverpool plays because they're still playing their form of game. And yet something's just not clicking anymore to where they're just having these defensive laps and uh, injuries play a big part of that. Of course, Mm. Uh, you're, you just got to look at it like, Oh, Okay. Curtis Jones has become a very important player for them. Um, given all the things I've said about like their midfield and they've had to slot him in from, um, from their youth system as he's one of the few guys in their team. Who's actually that Phil Foden type where he can drive the play from midfield and make plays and um, uh, offensively like that. So you know, the Liverpool's really interesting. XG likes them though, which is a good sign if you're a Liverpool fan right now, they're, in terms of XG points there, they should be, should be at least analytically third in the league um, yeah. behind Man City yeah. and Chelsea. So it's not disastrous. Um, they can definitely turn this around. They certainly have the talent. They certainly have the head coach to do it. So uh, yeah, it's going to be really I... interesting to see move them, move them moving forward. The team I'm not as optimistic about though, it is, is Tottenham. Tottenham's a mess. And it's Mourinho's not even in year three and it's, and it's, and it's a mess. So what's up with them? Man, it's just, they, they, they almost look like they've just 
relied on Sun the whole time. And this was very evident to me in the Chelsea match to where I know the second half, they kind of turned it on a bit. But that first half, Sun was everywhere on on Chelsea's side of the field and nobody else was moving with him. It was like, all right, let's get Sun the ball and uh, you do whatever. You know, the team just wasn't moving at all. And it feels like this team's hit this brick wall of, man, we've had a rough, rough stretch of games. And, you know, you think maybe the West Bromwich 2-0 win's going to do something for it. And then it's, again, a 1-1 draw against Southampton. And yet it, it just seems like this team's kind of lost its passion to play well. And, and, you know, you feel bad for them, but it's the freaking Premier League. You can't be doing that. Yeah. XG hates them right now. Uh, XG has them in what? Four five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth 10th place at the moment. You know who XG has an eighth place? Just guess. Wolves. I have no clue. It's Brighton. Brighton. Brighton Hove Albion. Isn't that amazing? That's actually in sync. So that's almost what double where they currently are in the Premier League right now. I know. They said they're uh 10 points unlucky. That they're that right now they are underperforming underperforming their their uh their play by 10 whole points. They haven't that's lost like, in five matches, so I can see where it's coming from. So so know? and they have been playing better recently, which yeah. I think is a sign of them just catching up to um those XG numbers. Uh who they are but, as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And so that means, yeah, Brighton is three whole positions ahead of Tottenham in the standing in in the XG standings at the moment. Uh, Tottenham's a mess, and I think, I mean, without Harry Kane in the lineup, that's a huge reason, right? That means their their counterattack isn't half as dynamic as it would would otherwise be, right? And defensively, they're stale. Offensively, they're even more stale. And I mean, just the lack of innovation in their tactics from Mourinho. I mean, we've seen this for so many years now, right? And these big clubs keep on giving him the chance to revitalize their teams. And it hasn't really worked at all for any sustained period of time. Like, I don't care that he finished in second place once with Manchester United really since his last Chelsea season, he hasn't been half the manager that he's been billed to be. Um, And I think that's just because he's a dinosaur in terms of, (laughs) and, and, and very stubborn in terms of his tactics. I think it's really as simple as that because I think the roster is okay. And not great, but like when are when, like when healthy, when Kane's healthy, they have just enough offense to probably get by with being a top four contender, right? But and and they certainly have the defense to do that, um, on paper. But it, but tactically, they're a mess. And without Kane in the lineup, they're even more of a mess. So you sort of get this whatever team. Um, and I mean, yeah, they played better in the second half against Chelsea, but uh, I, I I don't see a, a way forward, especially if. Uh, Gareth Bale is going to look this bad, for example. Right. It's yeah. And Gareth Bale, you know, you'd think would, I, I don't know why I said one, one against Southampton. That was my bad. Um, since I think Bromwich was the last game, but they're a team that, yeah. I mean, Bale, you know, everyone was fawning over Bale, you know, it was the return, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you look at it and you're just like, Oh, yeah. this was the return. You know, <laughs> Just Tottenham, as I think you've kind of said it right, you know, they've been, been they've been a mess as of late, you know, before West Bromwich, they hadn't won the last four games and they, I mean, they're playing good teams. Don't get me wrong. The Brighton the game's a big, big stain, but 
Chelsea is a team that really still hasn't found its own. And, you know, you're Tottenham. I know you're dealing with every freaking injury under the sun, but I think you expect to at least draw with Chelsea, you would think. Um, Arsenal, you draw against them. That's great. You lose to Brighton. That's awful. Um, I don't know. Tottenham just kind of seems like a shadow of themselves and what they could be. And, again, injuries, you're right, hurt. But I don't know. They looked so good to start the year. They had that whole stretch of games where it looked like they had a legit yeah. winning the league. And it's, it was Tottenham and Liverpool vying for the whole top possession of the Premier League for the longest time. And then almost both at the same time, more or less, you know, just kind of fell off. And Man City rises from the ashes of that burning fire and now says, I right, rest of the league, catch me if you can. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, it looks like, uh, I mean, sometimes you got to play offense first instead of just sit back and after you score the first goal, you sit back and do nothing and let the other team tie the game in the 80th minute, which has happened to them multiple times. This I would say they've lost, so yeah, lost their leads right at the final yeah. 10 minutes, 15. They've lost their leads so many times. I, I wish I had a stat like a specific stat for that right now in front of me, but I don't. Um, so yeah, next, I, next let's talk about the middle of the primary league. Um, there are some really in middle, I don't mean middle, like middle upper tier of the primary league in terms of it's a dog Villa, fight. yeah. Like Aston Villa, West Ham, Everton teams like that. These middle budget clubs who have a chance a real chance of making Europe this season. Um, and I especially look at like, Aston Villa is a team that I really look at and I'm like, oh, they're interesting. Um, right now, as it stands, they are fifth in expected points. Um, that, that, analytically, they're fifth in, in expected points. In expected gold scores, they are they are fifth as well. In expected goals allowed, they are third. So this is a team that checks out analytically. Um, they're, they're a team that offensively can put the put the ball in the net with guys like Ollie Watkins guy like guys like Jack Grealish who's just an awesome player on so many different levels and then defensively they're stopping goals from going in their own net of course so out of all that that's my pick for if any of these three teams are going to make Europe would be that team but if just looking at all these all three of these teams as a whole like which one kind of stands out to you you know Everton, I just think by just the sheer power of where they are, you know, they're a, they're a one win away from being in a, a, a Champions League position. And they have two games played less than every other team above them, uh, with the exception of Man City. So Everton's been, I think, a pleasant surprise. And if there was any year that I'd love to see some middle tier clubs move their way into not just Europa, but into the champions league. I think Everton's one of those teams I'd love to see. There's just something so nice and throw back to racing here. I think formula one showed that this year too, where it made watching and just following the league, just so much more fun because you had these teams that you just write off and say, yeah, they're an eight to 10th place finishing team. They're going to finish 20, 20, 15, 20 points below everyone else. That's, a true contender in the Premier League. And then you have Everton, who's over halfway through seasons yet to fade away. And same with Aston Villa and even Leeds United to a, to a certain extent, right? Um, it it's, makes it a lot more fun. And I'd love to see a, a, an Everton or an Aston Villa 
or even not a I personally not a huge fan of West Ham, but like even to see that happen, I think would just blow my mind and be a such a happy season result for me. Well, West Ham's a good team. Declan Rice is an amazing player, and uh, and you know David Moyes knows how to get the most out of mid mid tier clubs, and you're just kind of seeing it right in front of our eyes. They're going to finish in the top eight most likely, and they're a pretty solid team. Um, I do want to talk about. Uh, Everton though they're really interesting um, right now they're 12th in the league in expected points the analytics don't like Everton at all but no. I actually disagree with them at least to a degree because I look at the roster and I'm like that there's a lot of talent there right Thomas Rodriguez was the man at the World Cup not too too long ago and was a star player at Real Madrid who fell out of favor once Ancelotti left and then rejoined Ancelotti eventually at Everton and yeah, you, you put him into the equation with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's been awesome this season. Um, and all of a sudden you get a team that has talent offensively and is now healthier, at least healthier, right? Uh, Luca Dean's back in the lineup. Hamas is back in the lineup. Um, and you get an Everton team that's just really frisky and well, really well coached because of course, Carlo Ancelotti, I mean, this is a champions league winning manager right and he knows what he's doing he knows what he's doing and you you've seen it i mean like the three three draw th- this week against everton like defies statistical logic right they, they yeah, tied this I mean, game in the fifth minute of stoppage time and now now we're looking at a team that you know was able to keep basically their european hopes alive with that draw so i i think that i think that team's got fight i think they're pretty good defensively and I mean, I think now that they're healthy, their offense is is at least potent and dangerous from a talent perspective, even if the numbers don't totally back that up. Well, now I not to flip up on you, but I mean, Leeds United, you know, very promoted into the Premier League, and yeah. they're sitting sitting yeah. pretty intent ahead of Arsenal. I mean, yeah, how insane is that to see a club? not only become a middle group team, but one that is still fight could potentially, they won't, but could potentially fight for a six, seven, eight spot. I don't know what to do with Arsenal. They're, they're playing better than they did in that horrible, but like two, two month, month and a half stretch at one point. But like now I, I don't totally know what to do with them. Uh, and, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Leeds. Like, Leeds isn't going to make a European spot. There's too many teams no, ahead of them and not. there's just not enough talent in the roster, but like God love Bielsa and the way they play football though. Like goodness, they're, they're so much fun. I mean, I totally agree. Maybe someday they can though. Like they have shown a willingness to spend. I mean, why else would they, you know, get out, go out there and get Rodrigo um, just before the season started during a pandemic for Pete's sakes. Um, uh, and I mean, Southampton was kind of in this conversation too, but they've fallen off really hard right lately. I mean, the nine, nothing loss to Manchester United was a no. Oh uh, yeah. That was ugly. I mean, I guess you can, if you're going to give them any form of mercy, I, the red card to begin the match was iffy. And then when they were put down to nine men, it's just, that one was awful. I thought I did not agree with that final red card, but mm. Mm. And, I, even yeah. even still, I don't. They just gave up. I think that's really what Southampton <laughs> showed against that in that game was. Yeah. 
oh man, we're already getting our butts just absolutely tail whipped. Let's they just didn't look like they cared. And honestly, I don't know if I really blamed them after, especially after they went down to nine men. Of course. A very iffy call. Of course. But yeah, no, South Southampton showed promise. And then I think the soccer gods are like, ah, okay, okay. <laughs> no, we, you, we already have leads overperforming. You can settle on down, but I think that you know, they're, nine they're goal, an interesting club. I think that nine goal game screwed around with their expected goals against because right now they're like five goals more. They're like five extra goals scored than actual, but like I think that has everything to do with the nine nothing game. Uh, and then we mentioned Crystal Palace, Wolverhampton, and Brighton briefly. Like those teams are, those teams are like not great, right? But they're all frisky and fairly well managed, especially Crystal, like especially Wolverhampton and Crystal Palace. Like, yes, like Nunez Santos is just a really good manager. And that's a team that knows how to play with each other. Um, they just lack some offensive firepower and they always play better as the game goes along. And with Palace, like, I mean, I mean, like Hodges just finds a way, man. I don't know how they do it. Palace every year, people are like, oh, this is the year they're going to get relegated. And then they just don't. And they're not going to get relegated this season. Um, And in Brighton, of course, Brighton's really good. Grand Potter, the fighting Potters, they're really good. Uh, Let's talk about the teams that could get relegated, though. Right now, I think there's five teams after Brighton at 15th. There's five teams that have a chance at getting getting the boot from the Premier League this season. Uh, Right now, it's Newcastle United, who I don't like at all, um, frankly. Uh, Burnley, who can't score to save their lives. Uh, Fulham, who are who play hard. I respect Fulham. Yeah, no, Fulham plays a rough, rough nose game, and yeah, the, the recent results show that. Exactly. Yeah, and then West Brom, who I think are probably the leading candidates of not of like not surviving this this season. Honestly, um, not a. I, I, they don't have a lot of talent. I, I just don't see. I don't see it. I don't see it with them. Sheffield United, though, has been the surprise rebound team, I say, as they're still last place in the Premier League. Like, yeah, Sheffield United was the beginning of the season was like, all right, well, God, no, this team's not doing anything. They could, they're on track for the worst points finish ever. <laughs> and then they, they played better lately. Yeah, no, they've won what, what, three of their, I guess all of their wins have come in what, their last six matches, something like that. Yeah. But I think, you know, there's, Hot take, I think they stay up. I I think they I, work their way up and stay up. I, I know it's not looking good right now, and Burnley's playing better with 23 points, but, I mean, when you get that big win and then you lose only one nothing to Manchester City. The yeah, next game, no, I agree. I think that shows something that they're actually starting to rebound as a team right now. Um, their expected goals right is 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 seven is right now there's a seven goal differential between their actual goals and their and their um expected goals so that means that they have some room to grow offensively and that's a really good sign because it seems like defense has taken priority in the Premier league this season like if you can score goals you can do things because everyone else is playing at least some at least pretty good defense. It, so and yeah, and it, and it seems like the the four three three systems have kind of not dying aren't dying out per se, but it seems like a lot of teams are moving towards that four three one two type of system or the, the fourth, however you want to shuffle that around. And I, I think you're right, and I think it that helps Sheffield United that win against Man U is definitely a boost, but 
And I agree. They're definitely playing better. And I could easily see them outperforming a lot of these teams at the bottom of the table. I just feel like it could be too little too late where they're just, you might be right. Well, yeah. Yeah. They need like Fulham. It's like, you're looking at Newcastle and Burnley and like, I, I, I don't like Newcastle that much at all. I don't think that's a very good team, but it looks like they have they have a pretty good shot of staying up just because of that point differential, right? Yep. Is Fulham's at 15 points and Burnley's at 23 and Newcastle's at 25. Like that's a heck of a valley. Um between 16 and 17 or even 15 and 17. So I, it's it's going to be an uphill battle for those guys. Uh do you have any do you have any extra thoughts on the Premier League so I far think, this season? You know, just kind of going back to Fulham, it's just Fulham just can't score. And and if they could, they would be in a much better position because, you know, they're not a team that gives up goals, really. They just can't score them either. Um, and, and Fulham's a team that I'd love to see do better, especially being a Chelsea fan. I like the fact that they're just like a mile away from each other, how, however far away it is. I like that, even though it's not much of a true rivalry at this point there's just there's something hard nose about Fulham and just the way they play I enjoy it I just wish that he could find a way to get a win in their uh in their column but I don't know Fulham I Fulham would be the team I don't want to see fall out but they have a real big uphill struggle coming for them yeah yeah um yeah I don't really have too too much to add I think we covered the Premier League pretty uh, pretty well on this podcast. Uh, so yeah, uh, Reagan, thanks so much, man, for hopping on and talking some NASCAR, talking some Premier League. We'll definitely have you on to talk about those things and maybe some NHL or F1 moving forward. Uh, what do you think? Do you have any, do you have any avalanche thoughts before you go? Uh, well, they're on COVID break. So, uh, that's kind of me twiddling my thumbs right now. Um, there's somehow there's seven, Seven wins and three losses this so far into the season. I thought that they started the season really, really poorly, but yet, I mean, they're, they're seven and three. So they're a team that I think was just starting to find themselves, but they have dealt with so many injuries. At one point, I think they're down to, they out of their starting lineup from opening night, I think they had seven players out due to injury from their opening lineup, which is insane. Um and so I think this COVID break is almost a blessing in a certain way. Obviously, you don't want people to get COVID, but it's allowing the team to heal up. And if this team can play to its full potential, watch out rest of the league. Um, I'm excited yeah. because the Avs play the Vegas Golden Knights, I think, in four straight coming up. Um, one of them's at the outdoor game at Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think that's the one thing everyone should be keeping their eye on is really the Avs and the abs in the golden knights because i thought the blues were there and coyotes have seemingly found a way to get their number night in and night out but it's a seven game series is also insane so who knows yeah oh yeah absolutely um it is it, i mean well we can talk about the coyotes and the blues and all that good <laughs> stuff on another time but uh yeah man thanks so much for hopping on thank you for having me Thank you all so much for listening to episode 13 of the Koki Chronicles podcast. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and spread the word about the show. Until next time, thanks for listening.